I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, I've got Steve Schlesinger. He's the CEO of Schlesinger Group. Schlesinger Group is a marketing research company specializing in quantitative and quantitative research data collection services worldwide. It was founded by his mother, Sarah Schlesinger, back in the 1960s. On the show today, we talk about his um, taking over the family business, so to speak, and the transitions and pivots or chapters, as he likes to call them, throughout uh, the growth trajectory that they've been on. And in the last 14 months, have doubled the business into a partnership with a private equity company, Gage Capital. We also talk a good bit about research, the industry, where he sees it going, and his leadership lessons leading a company on such a high growth trajectory. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Steve Schlesinger. Steve, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Alan. Well, I know we're talking in this global pandemic. If I've got my facts right, you live in New York City and also have experienced COVID, maybe unbeknownst to you. Tell us a little bit about that story. So, um, you know, in the very, very early stages, it was probably the first week of March. I had a um, couple days of very low-grade fever and a couple days of headaches and did not know if I had COVID or not. It was the early stages when people really weren't getting tested. You know, my feeling was maybe I had it, maybe I didn't, maybe I had the flu. 
But, you know, it, it really wasn't more than a few days of feeling lousy. Fast forward in May, I had to have some knee surgery. And as part of that process, they test you for COVID, but they also test you for antibodies. Luckily, I didn't have COVID at that point, had the knee surgery. But what I did find out is that I did have antibodies. So I must have had COVID back, um, you know, in the, those early March days. So thankfully, you know, it's sort of like a blessing in a way because you have the antibodies, but at the same time, um, thankfully didn't have any horrible um, impact of the virus. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you, you didn't have any negative impacts. Well, Steve, how'd you go from a med student to CEO of the business? Yeah, so I was in um, graduate school down at Georgetown University and um, decided to take a year off. In that year off, my mom had a small research business at the time, and it was operating out of our house, had uh, been in existence since the mid-60s. And, you know, as most moms would probably say, you're not going to sit around and do nothing and be lazy while you figure out your life. You're going to do a little work and uh, keep yourself busy and keep a couple dollars in your pocket. And I started uh, doing some project management work for her, actually in the basement of the house that I grew up in, which is where her office was. So, you know, just started doing the work, really fell in love with it, really enjoyed the work I was doing and the clients I was working for. And sort of at that point decided maybe I you know, want to pursue this. And uh, she said, hey, look, if you're interested, we can really try to grow this out a bit more than I have and, um, you know, really make a, uh, a bigger business out of it for you. And, you know, at that point in time, uh, I think she was probably in her early 60s and had decided that, you know, she was going to slow down in the years to come. And this was a great transition. So we went forward and it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made. I've, I've really not only had a, a great time building the business, but I've really enjoyed the work. And it's the type of business and industry that really fits my personality well. Didn't know it at the time, of course, but looking back on it now, it was really just a, a really you know, good decision to make and, and with a great outcome. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your mom founded the business in the 60s. Was she herself a likely entrepreneur in that regard? Probably not. I think back on my mom, um, you know, the thing that she really enjoyed was talking to people. And she was a hard worker always and grew up, you know, in a family of workers. And, uh, you know, I think that she just sort of stumbled across this. She was looking to make some extra money. Um, you know, my oldest uh, brother was going to college in a few years. And the idea of trying to help pay for that tuition, help my father was a was an important thing for her. And she started off as a as a an interviewer and then became a supervisor and then a regional supervisor. And then a number of clients basically asked her to just sort of open up a business and manage work for them. And that's sort of how the whole thing started and uh, sort of grew from there before she knew it. She had a bunch of clients and a number of people working for her. And it really um, turned out to be a nice business. When I think about it now, I, I the thing I always say about my mom is that you know she grew up during the depression and she was a big believer in, you know, dollar work, dollar pay and, uh, you know, roll up your sleeves, humble doing, just get at it. And, um, you know, and that's sort of, I, I still believe the sort of the foundation of our, of our business today. And, you know, sort of how we think of ourselves, we're just really hardworking people who work relentlessly for our clients. Did you ever have to work on the, you know, take out the trash for your mom's business or do any, any little task as a kid? 
we always pitched in around the business, whether it was helping deliver products or running errands to the to the post office in those days and uh, or to the bank. You know, I think I, I did a couple part-time jobs for her when I was in high school and surely when I was in college. You have some interviewing jobs in airports and in supermarkets. The joke was always, you know, when you were when you were born into our family, you were born with a pencil in your hand because that was the way you did interviews back then. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Well, for the last 35, over 35 years, you've led quite the transformation as through leading the business. seems like when we last talked, we talked a little bit about just the expansion in the 80s, right when you took over from your mom, and then, you know, more recent acceleration in the 2000s, and then just blown away by the explosive growth you've, you've had in the last 14 months. So I'd love if, if you wouldn't mind, like just you hit on the first one, you know, potentially, but like there's like three step changes here, it seems like for the business and would love to know kind of what was driving each one, if you don't mind. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, we, we sort of refer to it as chapters in the business. Um, you know, there were the early, the early chapter of my mom building the business up and really laying what I'd call a great foundation around a reputation and sort of a, a standard for good, honest, quality work. And then you know, the second chapter, which is when I came in and started building out the business, especially on the qualitative side with number of facility openings and just you know, sort of growing that business into the seven and eight digits. And then in 2000, my partner, Mike Sullivan, joined the company and we really set out like on a journey of really building out the facility businesses across the country in a more significant way. And then ultimately the next chapter, which was the acquisitions of organizations in Europe, and then um, moving into quant, moving into more tech focused uh, capabilities. And then I'd say our last chapter, which is really bringing in a, a PE partner, Gage Capital, to really help us propel the business for this next chapter, which has really been around organic growth, and um, acquisition growth and you know, much bigger opportunities and really transforming the business from what was predominantly an in-person qualitative business to a business now that is much more balanced around qual and quant and even our qual much more digitally focused. Tell me a little bit about the Gage Capital and, and you guys have been able to, with through that partnership, grow the business, I think double the business in the last 14 months. So how is that possible? And, and what, tell me a little bit about that, that partnership, if you will. Absolutely. So when we all decided to go out and, you know, find a capital partner, you know, somebody like Gage, we went through a typical process and it was a great learning experience. I think we, it helped us um, not only understand the world of PE and what it would be like to have a partner, but it really helped us further craft our strategy and understand what the opportunity was in front of us. And you know, the more that we went through that process, the more excited we got about the business and sort of what was in front of us. And you know, we found Engage a great partner who did a lot of research and work on our industry, really understood who we were as people and what our goals were. We were very aligned in terms of strategic opportunities. And, you know, we ultimately consummated that deal and then quickly went out and, and started getting at it. And it's been great. We, we've had the opportunity to acquire four businesses, one a bit more of a consolidation play in, in Focus Point Global, and then three others, one very small uh, pharmaceutical play in Spain, 
But the other two that were much more transformative were Market Cube and 2020 Research. And these really helped us immediately grow in the two big strategic areas for us, which was quantitative as well as online qual with 2020, a really robust uh, toolkit and, you know, and platform. So the ability to acquire those businesses, and they were a bit more sizable than what we had done prior, was really through the, the help of Gage, both in you know, sort of expertise and, and capital resources. And then added to that was the ability to really grow out our, our team, add a lot more talent to our group, really sort of set us ourselves up for the next four or five years of growth. And we're not done yet. I mean, we're, we're looking at acquisitions every week. We've got a number of irons in the fire that are quite exciting. And the goal for us is really to continue to transform the business so that we are more tech enabled, we're more focused on the quant and the digital qual side of the world. In-person will always be a big part of our core business, but we find that there's probably less growth opportunity there since we're already you know, the predominant player globally. And then of course, we're always looking for geographic expansion, you know, opportunities that might exist in Asia PAC as well as LATAM. And so the current business today, I mean, you've got obviously histories based on qual, you've added quant, you've got other digital tools in the toolkit, and you globally, you know, your footprint has expanded from the US to global. Does that fully in your mind, does that kind of capture the research and insights business that you're in now? Or would you add anything to, to that description? Just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it, in, you know, broad principles, I'd say that we've got quite a bit covered. But I still think there are gaps for us to fill, whether it's on the tech side, on what I'll call the engagement side with clients, both front end and back end. I think that there's still an opportunity to create a more seamless research process with clients. And I think clients' needs are changing pretty quickly these days. And COVID has really accelerated a lot of that. So, you know, it's really understanding where clients are today, where they're going, and then making sure our business is evolving. You know, one of the challenges for us is that, you know, we're a much more sizable company than we were a decade or two ago. So the goal for us is really to maintain a nimble and agile approach to how we run the business and how we build the business. Trying to move fast, trying to move smart, trying to be in tune with our clients and also anticipate changes as best as we can so we're well prepared. And I think if we do those things well, I think we're going to be in a really good position over the next handful of years. Well, you brought in a capital partner. That usually means there's some sort of time horizon. What What are you building to? So it's funny. We, we look at the time horizon in two ways. We look at the time horizon for Gage and for our partnership with Gage, which is really around the next four to six years, let's call it, which is pretty typical for, for PE-backed businesses. And then we look at the business itself. And how do we continue to grow the business, not just for Gage's benefit and current shareholders, but for future shareholders as well? So, you know, we're always balancing both things and we're really looking for a way to ensure that we're going to have a great financial outcome for our shareholders, but also be incredibly relevant and successful for our clients. Well, you've led through all of these various chapters in the business, just this rapid acceleration of the business, both in terms of its scope and complexity, as well as just growth in general. What advice would you have for other executives trying to drive rapid growth for their business? So first thing for sure is make sure you have a great team around you. Yeah, this is not about me. This is about a, a really broad team of, of 
great leaders, hardworking people, people who are incredibly well well aligned to our business and and sort of what our goals are for the future. And I think that that has really helped me and helped our business grow significantly. I would say, you know, the the second thing is make sure you really have a good handle on what your clients are thinking of you, what your clients are, are thinking of your competitors, what your clients are thinking of the marketplace and, and how it's changing to make sure that you're well suited for what is today and what will be tomorrow. I think that's a critical component. And then make sure that you have the, the desire. Not every business has to be a fast accelerating business. For me personally, and for I think our group of senior leaders, this is what we all get excited about, and this is what we all believe in. But you know, it isn't for everybody. It's uh, you know, as you get bigger, or what they say, the the expression is, is you know, as you get bigger, the air gets thinner, and you know, it becomes a little bit more challenging to manage the stress and manage all of the components that are going on out there. And you've got to make sure that that's something that you have a desire for. For me, I love it. I've you know never been more excited about the business, and you know I really do think our best days are in front of us. So you know I look at all those things, and I also feel incredibly lucky. That's where I am, and and that's how I feel about all these things. So I'd always test yourself related to those principles. Like it. Well, you've been in the insights industry or research industry for a long time. Where do you feel like the future of research and insights is going? It's a great question, Alan. I, you know, I, you know, you hear a lot of words, you know, things around data, things around tech, obviously machine learning and AI, uh, behavioral. You know, I think that a lot of these things are not completely solved yet, but they are surely becoming uh, greater opportunities within the insight space. I think that that the the holy grail is how all these things sort of converge together and really create a, a dynamic for brands that allow them to understand consumer behavior as well as the opportunity to make decisions fast, more accessible for them. And I actually think we're not that far off from there. I think there's always going to be a need to do custom research. There's always going to be a need to do primary research. There's always going to be a need to understand the why behind the data. And I actually love where we're positioned because I think that the collection of information, which is really where our business is rooted, the ability to provide that information in whatever format a client's looking at it, whether it's data, whether it's video, whether it's in-person interviews, or it's something that's being done through a chat or a community, all of these things I think will always have relevance. I think the key is how do you deliver them faster to clients and ensure that the quality is there and ensure that, that the data is as rich as possible or the information is as rich as possible. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, one of the things is I, I was thinking about your business and the chapters that you've gone through is that I don't know that you planned it necessarily this way, but like, as I thought about it, you know, there's, you started on the qual side, that must have been a much harder thing to figure out how to scale and make bigger because it's, it's the oversimplification of it, but it's a people business at some level and it's nuanced by the geographies and the territories that you expand into versus the quant which is a more recent addition I, I believe to your capabilities and so you don't have as much technical debt on the quant side <laughs> as maybe some other of your competitors out in the market and so i don't know if you feel the freedom that maybe that provides or maybe you don't feel that, that that's an accurate depiction at all so i'd love to get your thoughts on it it's interesting because we have wrestled with 
call it technology. It's a broad term, but we've wrestled with technology for years. Are we developers? Are we users of? Do we want to own? Do we want to borrow? Do we want to access? And how do we look at these things? And I think if we go back about a decade ago, this was a conversation that was happening every year numerous times during the year. And we always took the approach of being a bit more agnostic, a bit more of a of a, a user of versus a builder of. And you know, now with acquiring Market Cube in 2020, we've got businesses that are actually much more rooted in technology, much more rooted in product development. And it actually gives us an opportunity to sort of transform our business to be Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Be a bit different than we were prior. And that's exciting. I think it opens up a lot more opportunities for us. It allows us to think about how we develop the business for the future differently than we might have in the past. And ultimately, I think it gives us sort of an excitement around the business, both internally and externally, that we haven't had in the past. Our excitement might have been more rooted, as you say, in geography or in you know more offices or facilities, where today it's rooted in more a variety of things that give us opportunities in how we service our clients. The one thing I do want to comment on, though, is you use this word people. And it's a funny word in our world today because, you know, you look at so many industries and you look at even within the insight space and everybody's trying to, you know, get scale. Everybody's trying to figure out how to leverage tech and, you know, how to create products. And our belief system is that is all accurate and that's all important. But there's a people component of our world that is critical. You know, the way that we manage projects, the way that we interact and and support clients takes service. And we are big believers that there's a combination of both tech product capability along with service. And this is really what clients desire. Yes, of course, everybody will mention DIY and its importance. But what we're finding is DIY is, is almost like DIY plus plus. What clients really want is they want to do a bunch of things themselves, but they also want to have the support that goes along with it and the service element because of the pressures that they, they have on their own jobs and their businesses. So we're finding there's a really interesting formula of this combination of the two that we think is, is the answer for today and probably well into the future. I, I think you're I think you're on to something, and I I love the emphasis on people. And as you make that transformation and and try to serve clients, that DIY plus plus the uh, the plus plus part and the people component becomes even more tricky. I, I don't know if tricky is the right word, but it takes a special kind of person to provide the right level of expertise and and service in a wrapper, if you will, of hybrid approach to do it, getting the work done, you know, whether, whether you're pushing the buttons or the client is it's a multitude of roles you have to play. And I think that's the key is the multitude of roles, 
and the multitude of asks. The client world is probably more complex than ever. I think there's always going to be a bit of rinse and repeat with types of work that clients do. But there's also incredible pressure on clients today in terms of servicing their internal clients, whether it's marketing or it's business development or it's engineering and design. There are so many pressures on the businesses today that the support that they're looking for from whether it's insights agencies or information providers like us, it's only going to become more and more critical as business decisions have to be made quicker and quicker. And um, there's a, a great reliance on, on the information to make those decisions. So our preparedness for this, our ability to change and address what a client's needs are today and then how they're going to change for tomorrow, it's imperative. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves basically as dinosaurs. Yeah, it's a really good point. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit because I would hate myself if I didn't ask you about your other side ventures. So you, you've got this huge successful business in the research and insights industry, but you've had some pretty successful ventures outside of that, whether it's in tech or the spirits world. Um, and by spirits, I mean alcohol, and not, uh, not religion, although maybe it could be both for some people. So I'm just curious, what do you have a favorite side business? Well, I find all the, the sort of the investing I've done in the businesses that I've helped advise or, or be a part of, they're all interesting in different ways. And I'll get to the probably the most interesting ones. But, you know, I find one of the great benefits of, of being involved in these businesses is one is I'm helping to support the entrepreneurial journeys of many other people. And that is just a ton of fun. And it's where my heart is. And, you know, I'm happy and thrilled to be a part of that. The other part of it, which, you know, I, I probably didn't think about in the beginning stages of my involvement, but surely believe today is that there's an incredible amount of learning that goes on for me with these businesses. They tend to not be rooted in research or in insights. They tend to be in other industries, but the amount that you learn around technology, around product development, or around just the, the challenges of running and growing a business it's great to see it from an advisory or a board member perspective because it really allows me to sort of sit back and actually almost relive my journey to a degree. And I just find the people who are running these businesses are just wonderful folks and, and really have incredible passion. And you know, how do you not love being around people who are passionate about their businesses? So yeah, it's been, it's been a great ride. I've probably over the years had involvement of in close to 30 companies in varying degrees, all with, you know, sort of varying success. And believe me, I've had some great winners, but I've had my share of losers as well. And that's part of early stage investing. But my, my favorites are, um, couple of investments and involvement in bourbon and whiskey brands. One of them, the best outcome was with a, a company called Angels Envy or a brand called Angels Envy, which has done incredibly well. And we were able to transact that business to uh, Bacardi a few years ago. And it's still wildly popular and a great product and one that I enjoy. And then we've got another, with the same group of people, we've got another brand launch called Heaven's Door, which is a whiskey and rye line that we developed with Bob Dylan. And if uh, if anybody's uh, spent any time in, in enjoying music, how do you not love being involved with Bob Dylan? So um, yeah, maybe one of the, the, the greatest icons in the music world. So that's been awesome and the product's doing incredibly well. And I think we'll have a, a great future in the uh, brown spirits 
On the tech side, I have two companies that stand out that I've really, really enjoyed working with. One is actually a bit more on the call it the insights and information space, and it's a, a business called Inspire.com, which really helps serve uh, patients in a variety of different health disease and therapeutic areas in the terms of a social community. And that business has done incredibly well. I think its best days are still in front of it. And, you know, and it's fascinating because it's a, it's a very strong commercial business, but it really serves a great need for patients with, with a, a variety of different ailments. And then the other one is a company called HR Acuity, which is a tech platform that really supports HR investigations in large corporations. And you know, the thing that's most interesting about this business is that it is a business that's really helping organizations cope with what I'll call challenging behavior within those organizations. So it's really been very effective in addressing things like the Me Too movement and sexual harassment in the workplace, everything from sort of minor bad behaviors to bigger bad behaviors, but it really allows organizations to manage and deal with these things effectively so that ultimately they come out with a with a, a good result for their for their broader group of, of employees. So, you know, that business is doing phenomenally well. The best part of that business is the woman who runs that business, Deb Muller, is just an unbelievably passionate person who is will drive this business to incredible success. And I just enjoy helping her and supporting her in, in her in her journey. Those are phenomenal businesses and so diverse. Is there anything in particular that drives, piques your interest as you're as you're evaluating new investments? I mean, they are on two different spectrums, if you will. Yeah. So, so I would say for me, the thing that I buy into most is the person or the people that are really driving the business. You know, of course, the idea has to have merit and you have to believe in, in what the business is about. But at the end of the day, I actually look at the people first and then the idea, because if there's a great idea and they don't have the right team executing on it or the right motivations aren't there, it more than likely won't be successful. And then, of course, you could have a great person and a great leader, but the idea doesn't have enough merit. So that may cancel it out as well. But I really am a big believer in the people who are running these things and, and how they really try to drive towards success. So, you know, that's sort of one of my my guiding principles in the investments. And, you know, I think it's really proven out. I, I think the ones that I've been most successful with have really been around this this great combination of it's a great idea and it's the right people behind the idea. I love it. Well, I want to take you through a series of questions everyone goes through on the show and it helps us get to know you even a little bit more and also maybe provide some tips or tricks for other folks listening to the program. My favorite question, frankly, to ask is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? You know, I think the thing I always go back to, and it's maybe not one experience, but it's a set of experiences, which is when I was really, really young, my mom and dad always encouraged me to work. And working wasn't necessarily having a job, but it was hustling and hustling in the right way, not the wrong way. So the idea that you could go out and you could make money for yourself by being out there providing service. And it was cutting grass and it was shoveling snow and it was selling sweaters at a flea market and it was it, <laughs> popping 
popcorn in an air popper in college and going with my roommates up to campus movies to sell the popcorn so we had money to pay for our oil. We went to school in Vermont, so it was cold, so we needed a lot of oil money. But it was this idea that you could always make your way if you hustled, if you worked hard, and if you thought about where you could actually make a dollar. And it was, you know, probably a big part, you know, when I think about how hard I work today or also how I hustle today for success, I think a lot of that's rooted in those early days of of being encouraged to do so. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting it all over again? I think the thing I I realized today being in the working world for close to four decades is the fact that it's really important to have some retrospection on your experiences as you're actually going through them. So today I look back and I, you know, recount things of my childhood and being a hustler. And then, and then I look at, you know, sort of my early parts of my career. And what I say is I think you have to do that actually, like almost as it's happening. So really thinking about, okay, what, what, what happened over the last year? What worked? What didn't work? How can I improve on those things or, or leverage, you know, the ones, the things that worked well more? And doing that very regularly, because then I think not only are you learning and you're improving, but I actually think you're enjoying it more too, because you're really recognizing a lot of, the, of what you've accomplished, a lot of what you've gone through. And life is just one big journey. So really appreciating and enjoying all your experiences, good and bad, I think is really what it's all about. I think that's great advice. It's not something we've gotten on the show before. So I just want to underline it because I, I think you make a great point that like it's that feedback loop that allows you to evaluate, you know, am I going in the right path I want to go in? Do I need to tweak my behavior? All those great things that we learn from and, and make a better life because of it, most likely. Well, um, this is kind of a silly question, but I, I sometimes build my shopping list based on what people say. <laughs> What's been the most impactful purchase for you, say in the last year of $100 or less? Mm, good question. Wow. I'm just looking around. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm not a big buyer of things, which is sort of funny. I, I'm just trying to think of what I've spent under $100. Holy cow. That's a good question, Alan. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Sometimes it stumps people. I know. I'm, just, I'm trying to think of uh, something that's really been incredibly meaningful. I mean, I have a. I, I like my new my new uh, AirPods, but I think they were more than a hundred. Let's see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh God, this is this is this is one that, uh, that really does that. I mean, I'd say uh, you know uh, a new pair of boxers, but I'm not sure you can air that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that works. I mean, whatever you know, whatever makes you feel your best, right? right well, listen, listen. I did I did get a new pair of uh, boxers that have um, little lobsters on them, so I like those a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We'll go with that because it is uh, every little thing can make you feel just a little bit better. You know, like exactly. If you like lobsters on your boxers, that's cool. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Last two questions for you as we step back and, and maybe these are a little bit more marketing related is, you know, are there brands or companies or causes that that you follow or you take notice of? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, surely pretty typical. I, I love following all the tech businesses because I just think that they're disrupting our world. And it's interesting to understand why they're so successful or, or how come they're so successful and, you know, and what's changing in our world that's creating that success. I try to follow young people. And that's, I know, very 
general in, in saying that, but, you know, for instance, I have, you know, two kids that are 29 and, and 24 and, and I love talking to them because I find that they think of the world differently than I think about it. And, you know, their, their job experiences and sort of how they use technology and how they sort of just live is different, but most important, it's probably what is going to be coming in the future. And I'm always really keen to have an eye on the future. So I really like to think about that. And then at the same time, the flip of that is what's becoming sort of obsolete? What is, you know, sort of less relevant today? Uh, I had a really interesting conversation with a neighbor of mine who was talking to me about just sort of how the world of buying automobiles has changed so much and what dealerships were and what dealerships are today and what they might be in the future and then how things like Carvana have changed all that. And it's just really fascinating to think of not just the changes that we're all experiencing, but frankly, the speed by which they're, we're experiencing them. No, it's very true. It's very true. I mean, I was, my daughter is 13, so she's a little younger than, than your kids. But uh, she was telling me and my wife the other day, she was like, we, my friends, we, we just don't think about the world like you guys do. We don't want to do the same things that you've done, <laughs> which led us into a lot of conversation, but <laughs> which I'll, I won't go into. But your notion of like following younger people and looking through them to try to understand what the future might hold, I think is pretty insightful. Yes. Yeah, it's the whole idea of reverse mentoring, this idea of, of really being in tune with, you know, what, where the future will, will be going by really speaking to the folks who are coming up the ranks and and again, it'll, it may be a little bit less relevant for me from a business standpoint, because that might be 10 or 15 or 20 years from now. But regardless, I think it's really sort of it sets the seeds for how your your business will grow and how your thinking will grow. And you know, the other part of this, and this is really important to me personally, which is that even whether I'm running Schlesinger Group or I'm advising other businesses or I'm just enjoying life 5, 10, 20 years from now, hopefully many more. I really want to understand what's going on and be a part of that. I just think it's just a better way to, to live. Yeah. Well said. Last question for you. What do you feel like is the largest either opportunity or threat facing marketers today? I think the opportunity and the threat are similar in the sense that there's just an awful lot of information out there. And how do I work with that information effectively and how do I use it to my benefit? And then, you know, I'll add the component of, of speed in there you know, how do I do all that fast? And the opportunity is if I can solve that, it gives me a great advantage. And the threat is if I don't solve it, I'm going to be behind my competitors. So, you know, I really look at that as, as sort of the excitement of the, the world we're in today and the world we'll be in tomorrow. At the same time, it can be a little scary or I should say daunting at times. But I think it's, you know, I always take the approach that it's exciting. It is going to be changing quick. And when I say quick, I don't mean tomorrow, tomorrow, but I mean, it's going to change a lot faster than it might have changed a decade ago or two decades ago. And I'm just happy to be a part of that. Well, Steve, it's been fun to have you on and I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. Alan, thanks for having me. It's been great talking to you. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. 
can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.